Welcome to the MFR Coaches Podcast, where we talk about how you can create a six-figure MFR practice. I'm your host, Heather Hommel. Not only have I been practicing MFR for 11 years, I'm also a life and business coach, especially for MFR therapists. My goal is for you to understand how to get fully booked, how to talk to your clients, and how to make sure they understand what's possible for them with MFR treatment. I'm here to help you stop under earning, overworking, and burning out. I'll lend support so you can create the MFR practice you've always wanted. Learn how you can do it too, even if you live in a tiny town, and even if you're just starting out, and even if you've ran your practice for years. Let's go. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the MFR Coaches Podcast. I am joined today by Tara Carrington. Tara, why don't you introduce yourself and kind of tell us about what you are doing in your world. Tara is a myofascial release therapist, by the way. So take it away. Thanks, Heather. It's really fun to be here. I am a myofascial release therapist. I'm also an occupational therapist. I've been an OT since 1995 and just about 10 years into my career is when I found MFR as a patient. And, you know, a couple months later, uh, Don came to Atlanta where I was living at the time and had the series and I took it and was just blown away and bought my table in the third class, you know, at MFR two. And I have been doing MFR ever since. So that's amazing. You bought a table during, did you buy the table <laughs> from the, from the seminar, like off the stage? Not that one. I ordered my Astrolite custom. That's amazing. You can't get <laughs> those nowadays. Be able to do that, <laughs> but it's still the one that's here with me. So it's been an amazing investment, both in my career and in the table. So that's so cool. Okay. So tell us a little bit about what's been going on with you. I know you've been an MFR therapist forever, but like, tell us some background. What's been happening with you the last couple of years? Okay. Once I moved from Atlanta and came to Florida, I ended up opening on my property. I live on five acres and it's really beautiful, you know, sprawling live oaks and animals and all kinds of wonderful visitors. And I had this sacred little studio on my property that was really, really beautiful. And that's where I really, you know, that was probably, that was four or five years into being a therapist. And that's when I really started understanding the work. And then after I was doing that for a little while, and I was also an instructor, so I was able to go to the seminars and learn not only as a student of seminars, but also as an instructor, which is a completely different learning experience and amazing. And so after a while in this beautiful, sweet, sacred little space, I started getting a little lonely. I just started feeling like I wish I had people to bounce this around with. And so at the time, I had been assisting Carol Davis a couple of seminars, and we were having just a glorious time doing that together. I and bet you were. I can't even imagine. That's so cool. <laughs> it was really fun and very much a learning experience. And then one of the times it was in Miami, and one of the other assistants was Craig Cohen, and he has practiced down there in integrative physical therapy. And Carol had retired from her other place and had started working out of Craig's place. And so the three of us just sort of really connected in that time together. And we had lots of people sign up for the seminar discount series, which I always kind of felt like it was a great, you know, gauge of whether people were really loving and getting it. I think we had like 25 or something, and I'd never seen that many in one. So we had just this really fun chemistry. And I asked, Hey, can I just come down to Miami and play once in a while? 
And they said, absolutely. And I started doing that. And that turned into, hey, Craig and Carol, would you guys be interested in doing an intensive program here? Because my introduction to myofascial release was as an intensive patient through therapists that were Barnes therapists. That was the way I found it. Okay. That lived in my heart as a really enormously important way to get things done. So we started that, we did that for, I think, six years. And then in the midst of that, I actually left my small, sweet, sacred studio here. And I opened up a large clinic here in Sarasota, where I live. And I had some therapists come along with me and started doing programs both here and in Miami. A few months later, COVID hit. That was March, 2020, right? And then in April, 2020, I was diagnosed with cancer, with stage three cancer. And I guess <laughs> I feel silly saying this, but totally pulled the rug out from underneath me. I yeah, mean, of course. Diagnosed with cancer would feel that way, but yeah, you know, I went into a surgery feeling like it was just a quick adhesion that they were going to get rid of. And what they got rid of was a big chunk of my small intestine and 17 tumors and 32 involved lymph nodes. And, all, you know, it was just a really like disorienting kind of. Yeah, that would be shocking. Like in your brain, you're like, I'm going in. Yes, this is serious, but it's just like a little removal of tissue. And then you find out you've had all of these things going on. Right. And as a therapist, I had a few moments of, oh my goodness. How did I not know that was going on in my body? How did I not know that I had stage three cancer? Who am I to talk to other people about feeling what's going on in their bodies? But that was just sort of like the immediate kind of shock and shock response. Mm -hmm. After that, I really started to feel into, well, I'd had GI problems for a long time. And I had really done a whole lot to try to wrap my mind and my body and my heart around what was going on there. And really the problem is it's just a very subtle form of cancer. And the other irony about it is that it's neuroendocrine cancer and our neuroendocrine cells are where our thoughts and emotions become biology, where they become interesting. Yeah. So, you know, that was another sort of slap in the face for me. Like, well, that's what I do all day. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's what I I teach people. That's what I talk about. That's what I try to empower other people to do. And here I was not doing it, but Heather, I was working so hard. Mm. I basically had three full-time jobs and that actually involved traveling down to Miami once a month. Mm -hmm. I was really burning the candle at both ends. I was doing everything that I loved. I was learning a ton about myself as a therapist, about working with others, about business and leadership. It was an extraordinary learning event, but I really just wore myself out. So I kind of hung in there for another two years thinking that I could get better and I had to let go of my clientele and ask them to go to the other therapists in my practice. And that put me in an administrative role in my clinic. Mm -hmm. And that is not my happy place. (laughs) Yeah. That's like a hard swerve to go from, which I'm sure you had to do anyway as the clinic owner, but like to go from treating, treating, treating to full admin is a shock to the system. It sure is. Because I think one of the things that we're doing when we're treating all day is we're meditating. We're in a deep, grounded and centered space when we're treating, right? And so to have to go handle details, especially for a right brainer like me, like I'd learned a lot about it when I was on staff in Miami, because I was part of the leadership team there and I was doing mentorship and I was 
running the immersion program and I was doing all the scheduling and all of those detail-oriented things that I'm really not very good at. It just takes me a lot of time. That just pulled me out of my right brain, as did going in administration in my own clinic. And I also learned the difference between being a leader and being a manager. And those are two really different things. And I found that being a manager was not in my wheelhouse. It was quite stressful for me. And no doubt it was probably pretty stressful for the women working with me. So we're just not born with that skill set, right? Like it's something you have to really learn on purpose. Yes. Well said. Well said. I think there are a lot of things in our practice and, you know, I'll be talking about this later with where I feel like artistry and presence and intuition are all things that we can put some learning into. There's this assumption that those things are inborn traits. And I completely disagree with that. I think that we all have those things. We've just been taught out of them and we need to remember them. And there's a way to explore and do it just waiting and waiting and waiting to see what's going to come up. And it's very rewarding. I love that. Okay. So you got to a place in your practice where you were managing people and you didn't like that. And then what happened? And then I got really sick again and we didn't know what it was. Uh, The assumption was that the cancer that was in my small intestine had reached my pancreas. And so I was scheduled for a scan and just by a miraculous synchronicity. I had my landlord and um, property managers come in to talk to us because they were going to be putting a new roof on the building. And, you know, it was going to be like months and months of hammering on the roof. And so they were (laughs) personally to smooth that over. Thank goodness, because they saw how sick I was. They saw how debilitated I was and they felt fear for me. They knew me over the past couple of years and they had been very generous. And so That really led to me being able to get out of my lease. Okay. Which is crazy, like to get out of a a corporate lease or (laughs) that's really is. I mean, (laughs) you know, I feel like it was just one of those meant to be moments. Mm -hmm. And I had gone into the office to do this medical records request and I probably had hadn't bathed. I was really sick, (laughs) you know. I looked like hell. So I think it was really just fortuitous that all of those things came together. And it wasn't just me trying to get out of a lease. It was three women looking at me as a woman who was really struggling, who had a beautiful business. But now I was being faced with this hurdle that I had to take care of myself. Otherwise the business would go away anyway. So yeah, yeah, they, you know, I was able to ask them if I could get out of the lease by framing it in terms of how it would be of mutual benefit mm-hmm. because, you know, the landlord could get a higher lease rate just because the growth in our area is absolutely explosive. So I knew it would be of benefit to her too. And I didn't want charity and it was just a really beautiful meeting of the minds. And uh, yeah. thank goodness I was too sick to be anything other than vulnerable with them. Because if I had to put on a strong face or send that email in a very business-like manner, I don't think I would have gotten the same response. Yeah. It sounds like it was a really like perfect timed human interaction where it's just like you showed up as a human and then the other people in the room were also being human instead of being business, right? Like, cause sometimes we make business decisions from a different part of our brain. And sometimes it's not very human. It's just very cold. And so I like that you had this human experience and like you were being taken care of as a human and the business stuff always works itself out no matter what. Oh, amen. I believe that too. I think a lot of times, and 
I've written some blogs that are on my website about the way I was vulnerable, even with my surgeon when I was terrified. Mm -hmm. And that was the lifeline that I had to hang on to when I had to go do something that was absolutely against everything I'd ever wanted or been taught, to be honest with you. You know, a myofascial release therapist going into surgery has our knowledge about fascia and what it does, our knowledge about what it means to be under anesthesia, but your body is still there experiencing the trauma in real time with all of the sensation. I mean, I'm not sure about you, but I've had people on my table who have had memories of waking up during surgery. So yeah, surgery was the very- We're like exposed to like the worst case scenarios all all day long, right? You're right. Bad medical outcomes, whatever. So then when we have something happen to us, I think it's really just natural for our brains to go to like, is there such a thing as a good experience or can I go through this and still be okay? Which I think is a really important point that the answer is yes, we have all this awareness. We don't have to use the awareness against ourselves. Yes, absolutely. We use the awareness to lead, I think, with vulnerability. Yeah. Because that's what I ended up doing with my surgeon. Like I just sort of, like he said, do you have any questions? We were doing the last minute paperwork and... I was so scared, Heather. I was just, and I was beating myself up because I was trying not to be scared. I knew that I wanted a different outcome. I wanted to go in calm and center because that would mean I would heal more quickly. And so he's doing the paperwork and he said to me, okay, you have any more questions? And I just barely squeaked out. I was shaking. I had tears running down my face. And I said, will you be gentle with me? Hmm. It was the only thing that I had in me. Like that was the only thought I had. It was the only feeling I had. It was the only request I had. And it was one of those moments he, he stopped and he, his eyes got misty and he put down his papers and he looked me in the eyes and he said, no one's ever asked me that question. And then he paused again for a little while and he said, I'll be honest with you. Not everything that I do is gentle, but my promise to you is that when I can be gentle, I will. And that was a lifeline to hold on to, right? Yeah. It probably changed the way he thinks about his patients too. Like in a way like, oh, what I'm doing, it's probably very grotesque and barbaric, but can it come from gentleness? Even the rough stuff. Yes. And and he's actually said to me in my follow-up visits, and he always has a medical student with him. And I always talk about I sent him the blog that I wrote That's and he was really moved by that. And I always talk to him about the way his presence and his honesty is what engendered my trust. So the second time I had surgery, which was just in this last December, completely different. He came into the room with the OR nurse and the anesthesiologist and they sort of, they accompanied me to the OR in a very merry way, not uh, dismissive at all, but just connected and happy and teasing me that I was going to have the most boring surgery of the day. And, you know, (laughs) yeah, sign me for that one. (laughs) (laughs) And so when we got in there, what ended up happening was the surgeon was holding my left hand and the PA was holding my right hand and the OR nurse had her hand on my heart and the anesthesiologist had her hands on my cheeks and they were really, really present with me. Yeah. And they asked me questions and we were giggling and they ended up asking me, Hey, do you like music? And I said, Oh, I love music. And they said, we can put on anything you want. Mm -hmm. What kind of music would you like? And I said, Oh, my favorite is cheesy (laughs) seventies. And, you know, we all (laughs) laughed and had a good time with that. And 
they put on the music and the BGs were serenading me with more amazing. than a woman, which is amazing because that was the experience that I was having. I was more than just another woman on that table in their schedule that day. I was Tara in that moment. They were really with me and they were really working hard to be centered and present and compassionate with me. So this time I went to sleep smiling and laughing and trusting in full. So yes, it definitely changed the way he practiced. And I've heard that from all of my doctors that my insistence on things like eye contact and talking about emotions and all of the things we know to be very important with healing has bubbled into the way that they see people instead of just having one body after another or one label or one illness after another. I love that. I love how you were experiencing fear and being scared in one part of your brain. You're like, I shouldn't be experiencing this. Like I should be calm and like allowing for those like the afraid and the scared to be just as important as calm and grounded, because there's no such thing really as an emotion that's better than another one, right? Like they're just vibrations that we have in our body and they all need to be acknowledged. And when we don't, we just have it more. Yes. It's really just about being honest. Yeah. Yeah. All just about being honest. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Honesty takes care of a lot of things. Really does. It really does. It really does. (laughs) Yeah. So long story short, I ended up closing down my clinic, but in that time that I was being a miserable administrator, I had written an online course. Oh, that's amazing. Okay. Tell me about that. Okay. It was, I really, really want to work with people, helping them develop their own unique expression of therapeutic artistry and presence. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of ways that we can explore that. I think that in our education especially prior to our MFR training, we come out of it feeling like, oh, well, you know, some people, they're just born with it. They're just born with it and they know how to connect and they're intuitive and they get all of these messages. And really that's not true. We all have it. We just need to remember it. We need to give it time and we need to give it some prompting and exploration. And it's a really beautiful and deep exploration that we can go on. But in a lot of ways, especially people like me who are really, really introverted and very sensitive and deeply empathic, Mm -hmm. I, I think what we tend to do is we go back to the quiet of our treatment rooms and go in this one on one setting where we're doing this quiet exploration. Mm -hmm. We don't have anyone to talk to about it, or we don't have a guide that helps us with prompts, with journal prompts or nature meditations or sketch this out. And so that's the work that I love doing with people. So, and I learned how to do that as an instructor, but really as a study group leader. I mean, a lot of the focus of our study group was really filling in the blanks of how do you approach this and how do you dive in for yourself? And how do you take hierarchy out of the treatment room? Because healing does not happen in the presence of hierarchy. Right, right. Healing happens in the presence of trust and resonance. The real therapist in any room is not the therapist. The healer is resonance. Yeah, I love that so much. I was just going to say, this is why I like myofascial release so much. And especially the way John has gifted it to the world in the way where, yes, there are specific techniques and yes, there is like this framework for it, right? The five minutes, the cross-hand releases, the rebound, you know, like there's a framework for it, 
but every single therapist is going to interpret it different. And it is going to be presented to patients through that therapist's hands, like in a different way. And there's no cookie cutter you have to test out to be anointed as a therapist, right? It's like, he's totally fine with us all doing it in our way, which I don't know if that's everybody's interpretation, but that's always been mine. And that's why it's always felt like home to me because I don't have to try to be like you. I don't have to try to be like Carol Davis in order for it to be legit, right? Like it's just between me and my patient. Yes. And furthermore, I agree with you wholeheartedly, but furthermore, if we're imitating a therapist that we admire, that's Mm -hmm. not honest. Our energy. Exactly. It's imitation. Yeah. So in order for us to be truly effective, we have to be honest in who we are. And that needs to be expressed through our energy so that we're setting up a safe treatment space. I mean, that's our our very first job with people setting up that safe street treatment space. Yeah. But it's also about honest expression. I had an experience really early on in my learning process with MFR when I took equine MFR for the first time. And that was so long ago. That was when Kathy Kogel was teaching it. And one of the things that she had us do was she had us stand in front of a horse and just feel. And when she came up to me, she said, well, what are you feeling, Tara? I said, well, I'm feeling two things. I'm afraid of horses because they're magnificent and they're big and they're powerful. And I admire them so much, but I don't know anything about how to handle them. In fact, every time I've been on a horse, I've been thrown off. Mm. And those are just the slow trail horses. Like, (laughs) you know. (laughs) I really, you know, so I had, is rejecting me all the time. Yes. So I had that bubbling up in me, but I said, however, I know because I've heard that on the trail, you know, before I got thrown was you have to be the boss. The horses need a boss. You need to tell them what to do. You can't let them run over you or take advantage of you. So I'm standing here feeling both of these things. I'm afraid, but I'm going to be the boss, even though that's very unnatural for me. And she's okay. Well, can I tell you what the horse is feeling in response to that? She doesn't understand either of those arguments going on in your head. What she feels is that there's dissonance in your energy. You're telling yourself a lie. And that means that you're not trustable. Mm. The energy that I was bringing to our resonance was, I am saying one thing and I'm doing another. Yeah. You better watch out. And so I think we take for granted that we have all of our verbal capabilities at our disposal when we're working with a patient, Mm -hmm. but the realness is happening in our resonance. And until we dive in and really understand how our treatment sessions have formed our opinions and our energy around what's going on during a session, how our ego is and is not in partnership with us during treatment and not only during treatment, during scheduling calls, during that initial contact, during those follow-up panic texts when someone's having a healing crisis, yeah, all of those things. And so we need to be able to come in with really honest energy. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, if you think about it, when people come in with trauma, whether it's a big T trauma or a little T trauma, Oftentimes, one of their responses for survival is to become a people pleaser. Yep. Well, if we're approaching them with, I'm the expert on you, and you can count on me, and I've got the answers to every question, yet there's something that's dissonant 
Mm -hmm. And that whether it's conscious or, you know, usually it's more subconscious what's going on with what our energies are communicating to each other. Yep. And what happens is they become a people pleaser for us. Their unwinding is performative. Their emotional releases are performative and they may feel that they're very, very authentic. Right. Their authentic response in their trauma response, not in their empowerment. Yeah. So the very first thing we're responsible for is our ripple in the treatment room. Yep. I like to call that our energetic BO. What are we putting out there, especially for what I do, like sales conversations, right? Because there's a money component attached when you're a therapist and you're trying to run a business, right? At the end of the day, your goal is to sell MFR, Mm -hmm. but with the caveat, always in service of your client's outcome. So we talk about that in my program too, but I call it energetic bio. Like, do you have rainbow bio or are you just stinky bio over here? I love it. <laughs> oh, bio. I finally just got what yeah, you were saying. BO. Rainbow bio. Oh, sign me up. That's yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> what a great way to say it. I try. I try to break it down. I think people can like, somebody made a meme once. I can't remember who it was. I think his name was Brandon in my group. And it was like the meme. And then there's a rainbow coming out of their armpit, like how you're supposed (laughs) to sell them. Love it. We're nerds. It's fine. (laughs) We all, we do have a unique sense of humor, don't we? Yes. Yes. (laughs) Make sure you get on my wait list. So you get the invite only email to attend a special free coaching call. I'm going to be hosting this call for waitlist members only on this call. You will be the first to hear about and enroll in my brand new coaching offer. And trust me, you do not want to miss out on this information. And even more so you do not want to miss out on the opportunity to get coached by me on your MFR business for free. Go to www.themfrcoach.com backslash waitlist to join and get all the information and details on when the call is happening. You need to join the list before June 14th to get the information. So don't delay and sign up now. Again, in order to get the announcement first and the special waitlist only coaching call, you must sign up for that waitlist email list before June 14th. I'll see you on the call. So again, go to www.themfrcoach.com backslash waitlist. Okay. So I love this, like this whole breaking this down of meeting clients with that resonance and with the equalness, not the hierarchy in the treatment room. So then what did you create from figuring these things out or working with this part of the process for your clinic? I created two things off right off the bat. So for a while, I was creating a really big deep dive course. Something that will probably last about eight weeks, has lots of community component to it so that we can be talking to each other um, in real time as we're going through the lessons or the exercises. And when I got sick, that got put up on a shelf. Mm -hmm. And basically I have, I had a really rough year last year. And then I had a surgery again this past December, just uh, what, four months ago now. Mm -hmm. And that made me feel so much better. And all of a sudden I wanted to be back in it. I was ready. You know, I had the energy. I had a couple of really public stops and starts as I was battling these health issues and 
you know, I felt embarrassed about that. Not really, you know, I didn't feel ashamed of myself. I understood how important it was to take care of myself, but I don't like letting people down. And I think, you know, there were a lot of times that I felt like, you know, people were really excited and I still get regular emails. Hey, are you ever going to do that course? Because I think that people are really hungry for a way to talk about this subject and develop deeper skills. So I, in the name of coming back and doing something that would help me dip my toe back in, that's a little less of a deep dive and be able to connect with people one-on-one again, which is my true love. And really maybe sort of get an idea of what's sparking people in this subject. I developed something else that I call the Therapeutic Artistry Discernment Series. And that's running right now. It's running through July, through the end of July. Is it like a group program or like how to, how to, can people just sign up anytime for it? Is it all online? Like, tell us a little more about that. Okay. It's a completely one-on-one process with me. Okay. Series of three sessions. Okay. The first session, um, I've developed an instrument in six or seven different areas of MFR practice to do a really like deep microscopic look into where are the places that you're feeling some blind spots or some hurdles or some challenges, where are some places that you really would like to fortify or ask some questions. And these are areas that they're not as focused on technique or manual stuff. Although I do ask sort of like the energy that they're bringing to those tasks. But we're also talking about things like emotional intelligence and energetic awareness and dialoguing and all of those things that just sort of are out in the ethers that we are learning in our silent spaces. (laughs) One, and it takes years to develop. The first session is doing that assessment to see what comes up. And then about a week later, we come back for session number two. And in that time, I've taken my joyful, fun, meditative, intuitive process, and I've gathered all of my own lessons and all of the reading and research that I've done and all of the experiences that I've had. And I develop things to help people explore a little bit. So I have some people who are saying, well, I think I'm getting intuitive information and I'm just afraid to speak up. And how do I know when to do that and when to keep quiet? So I'm developing exercises for those people that help them tune into like an inner pendulum process and knowing how to discern the difference between like a cognitive feel of information versus a downloaded, connected, energetic feel of communicated information. I have somebody who's in the very beginning of her journey as an MFR therapist. She started as a patient and she's taken some classes and she really wants to dive into what it means on the front end to develop these things. And I have some people that are really like people that I was sort of shocked when they wanted to sign up. Like, what do you mean? Like I learned from you. That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's lovely. I mean, it's just, you know, I'm, I'm modeling the sessions after that therapeutic partnership. I'm not a teacher. Are you sure? (laughs) In, in that my role is facilitator by asking questions, which is what the best MFR sessions are anyway, right? Like you, but we bring our 
clients, whether they're our clients on the table or our clients via our entrepreneurial endeavors or whatever, we bring them to their own aha moments. Anytime we steal an aha moment from somebody, we've disempowered them. Mm. So the whole thing is modeled on this partnership. So in the second session, I come to them with all of this sort of downloaded stuff that maybe they can use. Here are some journal prompts. I know you're a journal owner. Try try these things with writing. Let's see what comes up. Here's a meditation for discerning your inner pendulum. Mm -hmm. Here is sitting out in nature to become really fine-tuned to your senses and understanding how to be present with your own senses when you're in the energy of somebody else's senses. I've got people who have... I feel like I don't have any intuition and I have people that say my intuition just bowls me over and I can't stay grounded in a session. Yeah. Doing a lot of exploring in order to go back to the treatment room or go back to their meditation sessions or even take walks in nature or go to their sit spot in nature or whatever it is to really get comfy with Mm -hmm. feeling those things. And so that's the second session. And then I ask people to schedule their third session three to four weeks out so that they have time to take those exercises Mm -hmm. and practices into their lives in and out of the treatment room. And then we're looking at, okay, how did it work? And we celebrate successes and we tweak things or add things that might be helpful going forward. And so my experience has been that those three sessions and the way that they're formatted, some people really dig the format and some people really just need to talk. You know, they really just need to process what's going on or start even in in a more beginner's mind place with who they are on the spectrum of empath, intuitive, psychic. There's a whole spectrum there and how things come to people or, you know, what it means to have like a really calm, seamless treatment session so that what you're doing is imparting really calm, safe energy. Yeah. When it's just easy between you and the client. and Exactly. Yeah. I love this so much. And it reminds me a lot of like what I coach people on in my groups is half the time it's business stuff. And the other half, it's like, how do we process through this interaction I had with a client? Mm. Right. Or like, I'm feeling really triggered about what they did or said. And mm. how do I still show up for that client the way that I want to show up as a person, as a human and as a business owner. So yeah, there's a lot of uh, synergistic. That's sure the right is. word <laughs> with what you're doing, which is really yeah. cool. It's really so valuable. It really is. And We don't have to wait around for experience to teach us that stuff. We can dive in and figure out where we're getting in our own way and move closer to helping people heal themselves through love instead of through information and expertise. Mm. I know that you have experience, you know, when you're in class, sometimes you're in class as an instructor and someone walks up to the registration table and you feel... Well, that person's got it, whatever the it is, the it factor, right? And those are the people that are really solid in their presence and also very solid in beginner's mind. And so when they're treating someone, they've set things up with their honest energy in a way that the patient's going to respond. Yeah. Sometimes you get an expert who's taken all of the classes and knows all of the techniques and is doing all the stuff. But that resonance is closer to dissonance. 
And that's going behind the scenes and they don't understand. They're putting in all the work. They're doing everything they're supposed to do, but there's something missing. Yeah, that's a big piece missing. And it also contributes to misery in your business, misery in like patient outcomes. Like there's so much misery connected to the dissonance, (laughs) I think. Yes. It makes everything harder. Yes. And, you know, I think a lot of times when I'm embarking on this deep dive with people about their own ego and places where they're blocked or places where they have a blind spot and PS, every single therapist out there has blind spots. Like we're humans. And it's like virtually impossible to spot it on your own all the time, right? It's just not, it's just not possible. I would submit always instead of virtually impossible. It's always impossible. We need each other to do that because there's a reason it's a blind spot. We yeah. need compassionate leadership into that blind spot. Thank goodness. All of us have a lot of friends that can help us. Right. Do that. So your program, like, would you say it's like a coaching program? Are you doing like one-on-one coaching with these people or is there a group component to it? And how long is it? How does it work? Okay. So, you know, it's funny. I, I sort of think of it as coaching. All of the ways that I learned how to create the offer were all via coaching examples, but I sort of, I, you know, I think of it more as mentorship at this point. And I don't really, I'm not sure really what the difference is, but the mentorship is part of my work that I've absolutely loved. So I think it's just because I connect with that word better. So the way it works, it's at three sessions and Again, we schedule the first session and then a week or two later, we have the second session where I introduce the practices. And then three or four weeks later, we have our third session where we review it. How is it going and see what we can or need to tweak. Okay. And then what can people that take your program, what can they expect to have as an outcome when they're done with you at that final session? They can expect to have custom, like truly bespoke exercises based on what it is that they're trying to deepen in their practice. I'm listening to them the way an MFR therapist listens to their own clients, right? So I'm diving in really deep with that. And so these are such deep practices that even though this series is only three sessions, What my hope is that I'm providing something that somebody can take into their practice for months to come so that they're really learning more about themselves and what energy they bring to the treatment room. There have been several people who have said, I want more than three sessions. That's fine. I have, you know, if I have room on my calendar, please sign up. I love doing this. And there are actually other people who have gone outside of the series and signed up as well for just sort of different topics for mentorship. Okay. Awesome. So would you say people come to you, they're like a little bit insecure about how they're showing up in the treatment room. And then by the time they're done working with you, they enter the treatment room feeling really grounded and connected, like more of a connection to their client and whatever, like the client shows, like whatever interaction happens, they're more able to just be with whatever is, is happening. Do you say that's like one of the outcomes? That's definitely the hope for the outcome. I think this is one of the areas that we're constantly working on as therapists because we change and grow right alongside of our clientele. Yeah. And so having a way that we can move in, whether I'm giving people who are journaling, I'm giving them journal prompts for self-exploration and we can take cues from that and start a journaling practice. And so we're never really done And we're never really fully 100% grounded and secure in all of our sessions. I've been doing this for 20 years now, 
And I still get jitters sometimes for an initial eval. Mm -hmm. And it's not jitters because I don't know what to do. It's jitters because I want to do a good job, right? So having a way to check in with myself has been life-saving. And that's what I want to help other therapists have. I have a way of tuning into my feelings and being very honest about what I'm bringing into the session, because that's what my patient needs first, no matter what, because everything else after that, the channels open for it. Mm -hmm. So yes, it gives the therapists tools to continually check in and reassess what's going on internally, bringing the ego into partnership because it's in the room. Yeah. I think all of these practices that say you need to be devoid of ego, that's so unrealistic. I mean, just in my personal opinion. I know. Where do you put it? I, I just tuck it in a little. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, you know, ego is there to protect us. And so there are ways that we're trying to protect ourselves in the treatment room because we want to do a good job or because we feel we would feel ashamed if we can't answer a question. And so we've got to be in partnership with our ego as we go in and say, I hear you. I know you. I know that voice. I know this feeling. Thank you for trying to protect me. And now we're going to move on. (laughs) Yeah. Like, thanks for coming. I'm just like, you're going to be over there for a little while. Yeah. 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 Yes. I love that so much. Where can people find out more information or sign up with you? I have an information page on my website. So they can go to tarakarrington.com slash discernment. And that will take them to this page for the discernment series. There's also a lot on my website that people can go to my blogs. I have a presence and practice survey that people can take. I have a little freebie for some, you know, some intuitive practices there. So there are a couple of ways that you can engage on my website. But if someone wants to do any discernment or mentorship, whether it's in that format or not, they just write to me, Tara at TaraCarrington.com. Awesome. That's your email. That's my email. And I will send a link for my calendar to schedule. So at this point, I'm booked through May and I have room for probably two more people in June of July. Awesome. Okay. So depending on when this airs, you guys will have to go to her website and check it out and sign up for, do you do like a consultation or they should contact you through through email if they have questions before booking an appointment? They can contact me by by email to schedule like just uh, sort of a discovery call. Okay. And yeah, I'm not a seller. Like, you know, I think a lot of people are, they're a little bit hesitant to do that discovery call because they feel like they're going to get the hard sell on the other Mm -hmm. end. You know, I'm just at the point in my career where I know that if I have to start convincing somebody of the value of this, then really it's not the time yet. So mm-hmm. it's truly a, you know, is this a good match kind yeah. of call? So yeah, they can schedule that and they can write to me and ask if they're more comfortable with writing than talking. I'm here. I'm pretty available. I really Perfect. love talking with people one-on-one, however that yeah. is. I love that so much. All right. So everybody go and find Tara Carrington. Now, are you Tara Carrington on all the socials like Facebook and Instagram, or do you have different handles for that? I am Tara.caring, but that's C-A-R-I-N-G on Instagram. Okay. And I'm Tara Carrington on Facebook. Okay, perfect. So go and like and follow her for more information and just to be blessed with her wisdom and whatever she shares with us on the internet, which would be pretty cool. And also go check out her website. And that's T-A-R-A-C-A-R-R-I-N-G-T-O-N.com. 
That's correct. Okay. And there's also a place on my website that you can sign up if you're interested in doing that deep dive course that I am currently right back in the swing of forming, then you can get on the list to be notified for that. So cool. And just low key, everybody, I'm going to try to get Tara to come into my programs for some deep dives with you guys. We'll see. We'll see what I can convince her of. So much fun. Right. Well, thank you so much for being here. I might have to have you on again so we can talk about even more things. I'd love it. All right. I love repeat guests. So until then, thank you so much. And everybody, I'll see you next week on another episode of the MFR Coaches Podcast. See you then. Bye. Thanks for joining me today. My goal is to help all MFR therapists stop under earning and burning out. I have several resources available for you. Read my book, The MFR Coach's Guide to Having Your Own MFR Business, available on Amazon and at Advanced John Barnes MFR Seminars. Keep listening to the podcast. I'll always have fresh content each and every week. Join my group coaching program. Enrollment opens four times per year. We take all the information I teach and lay down the foundation for your six-figure MFR business. It's more than just raising rates, but you'll make that the hardest part. Then expand into the business owner who delivers your rate like it's just the news and who can sell MFR to anyone in any situation. I'll show you how. Get on my email list, follow me on social media at the MFR coach and visit my website for more information on group enrollment, themfrcoach.com. Thanks for listening and I'll see you next week.